Being vocal sparks change in others, plants seeds in others' minds. We all have something to give, and we all have something to get, and there's this reciprocation that needs to happen. And I think now what I'm trying to use my voice for is to just break down this construct of having different hierarchies. This is One on One, a Table for Two production. I am Antoine Aboussamra. I never understood why some people have more freedoms and liberties and privileges that other people don't. Every week, One on One dives into the world of food and wine through the eyes and experience of my guests. In each episode, we will discover their journey, what matters to them, the challenge they have faced, and how the world of food and wine is evolving. The wine industry shows me I didn't choose it. And there's something about the love of food and wine, yes, but how it's an agricultural product. And so it goes back into the land. And for me, it's such a big piece and it's such a part of who I am. Good afternoon. It's a fantastic pleasure to be back uh, on the one-on-one podcast. And uh, this time we have the great honor and privilege to welcome Cara Bertone from Lyft Collective and many other things. We'll talk about these things as well. Uh, good afternoon, Cara. Good afternoon, Antoine. Thank you for having me. You're you're in Austin, Texas? Yes. And this is a place that is something that is very important for you. Understand correctly, we we you know in, in our previous conversation to prepare for 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 the for today's conversation and for the recording, uh, we talked about places in the U.S. We talked about you know how the country has evolved, etc. And we talked about Austin, about how the city is a place where they are, you know, forward thinking, etc., etc., etc. And from what I understood as well, it's a place that is important for you. And can you tell us a bit more about that aspect? And we start on that. Yeah, um, Austin is a is a great place. It's um, where my wife and I decided to land uh, when we left California. Um, we both grew up in Florida, and uh, Florida was definitely somewhat of a shock to the system at a young age. Um, so as soon as I could leave, I did. Uh, we met in California. Um, in between that time, I was in college in Dallas, Texas, and, and I had a really great time in the years that I spent there. Um, so when my wife and I decided to uh, buy a house and create a family, we realized that Los Angeles was just not going to be a place that we could do that and feel good about the opportunity that we'd be able to give our children at that time. So um, I brought her here forcefully multiple times to the state of Texas. And we came to Austin a few times and she, she loved Austin and it's beautiful here. Um, there's a lot of greenery, a lot of uh, parks, a lot of areas to get out in nature, uh, which we thought would be perfect to, to raise children. And it has been, I have a um, five-year-old son, Luca and a seven-year-old daughter Rowan who live here with us. So it, it was a place where you found a sense of belonging and a place where, you know, you can raise your family. And w- what has been interesting in, in, in the past, months months basically is that and we spoke about it in the Roe versus Wade special uh show of the wine hour things have evolved in 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 the US and in Texas in particular 
how do you react to to something happening like this? Because it kind of changes potentially the environment and what we're expecting from the place itself. Right. I'm going to bring up the fact that I also grew up in Florida, and so similar, mm. similar, somewhat mindsets as where um, as in the state that we live in now. Obviously, Austin being, you know, a lot of people will call it um, blue speck in a sea of red, uh, as far as political terms are, mm -hmm. are concerned. Um, but when I when I think about something like Roe versus Wade, obviously it immediately hits home for me with reference to my daughter and to all daughters and women. Um, in, in the state right now going through this and in the country going through this, really. Being in a position that I'm in, I also somewhat feel uh, not sheltered, but privileged in a sense because I'm a woman who's also married to a woman. Um, I feel like we live in somewhat of a safe area. And so the opportunity for me to, to go through or suffer you know, a pregnancy is probably less than other people. Um, in the state, but what I do know that I have is the capability of being able to to use my voice and talk about these things openly with my neighbors and have conversations, whether it be with parents at you know school board meetings, uh, being able to open up and start dialogue with people. I think a lot of times what ends up happening is people think that they understand what's in the best interest mm -hmm. of a society, mm -hmm. all in thinking isolated thinking right? They're not thinking about it within a community. They're thinking about it in, in themselves and they're taking in information that they get from the internet or from, from wherever. And they're really not able to think outside of those sort of ideals. So um, it's very powerful for me here right now in the state of Texas with, with us being completely stripped, us being women, being stripped of the capability of being able to make our own choices for healthcare. Um, I'm not quite sure if I'm answering what your question was or even getting along the lines of the conversation, but I just feel that there's so much that we need to be doing and the conversation needs to be openly discussed often um, for people who are somewhat in the middle and don't think that they, they need to have a voice, whether that be, you know, young men, older men, women who don't think about it because it's not something that they're worried about in the present moment. Mm -hmm. um, but having these conversations with everyone. The fact of being vocal, as you were saying, you know, using your voice and being vocal, um, I suppose this is not very far away though, of the reason why you are part of Lyft Collective as well, you know, using your voice, because there are things that happen in society in general, in the wine industry in particular, in which you have very long experience. And to be able to voice your opinion and be vocal about issues because there's, at the end of the day there's always you know there are people that think about these but they don't take the step as well to talk about them and to be vocal about that in your case it is it is obvious that on one you are vocal and and that you are also involved in in lift collective which is also trying to make changes uh, in in the industry why is it so important for you to to go through that steps because we're living in that environment. I have my opinions, but somehow I'm going to keep it to myself. And it's not the case. You are. No. Very. <laughs> why is that? Um, I, I don't, I couldn't tell you why that is. I can tell you this, that I don't, I grew up with a grandfather who was uh, deeply into the Baptist church 
growing up in Florida. And I, it was very rigid. I had to go to church every Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, I had to be a part of it. I had to listen, you know, and I remember probably sometime around the age of eight or nine, it shifted where I just told my, my grandfather, no, and I, I definitely, you know, I was spanked, I yelled at, <laughs> I was all of the things, but there was something inside of me that knew that there was, there was something wrong. Why, why do you get to do this? But they don't get to do this. Like I, I never understood why some people have more freedoms and liberties and privileges that mm-hmm. other people don't. Um, and the older that I got, the more clear it became because the, when you're young, you know, you can treat boys and girls, not the same, but there is some sort of fluidity You can have them in the same rooms together talking. Once they get a little bit older, all of a sudden, you know, there's different conversations that come into play. So they become separated as groups and boys have one trajectory and girls have another in this, in this sort of Christian mindset that I grew up in. And I never, I never understood that. So it's sort of lived inside of me, no matter where I've, I've worked in the industry or even outside of the industry, my whole life has always been somewhat of a push against norms of society. Mm -hmm. Because if you're not questioning authority, you can't change what is. Mm-hmm. And that was probably my younger self thinking about it in terms of power versus not having power and trying to gain my own power by questioning authority. And now I, I think as I've become older, I sort of start to have this understanding that, you know, how do you deconstruct power? How do you, how do you make everything an equal playing field? We all have something to give and we all have something to get. And there's this reciprocation that needs to happen. And I think now my voice, what I'm trying to use my voice for is to just break, break down this construct of having different hierarchies, whether it be in the wine industry, whether it be in, on, in, in the household with who, who does you know, chores and who doesn't. Like all of the constructs that we've, we've created in our, in our culture over, over the vast majority of you know, centuries at this point, um, None of it is, is in my mind, really talking about how we should be working together in understanding and uplifting all strengths. Because, you know, at the end of the day, it, it, even though I'm part of Lift Collective, I, that by no means says that Kara Bertone is a man hater because she wants to lift female voices or, you know, uh, BIPOC voices or whatever. It's, mm-hmm. I don't have this in, inherent disdain or hate for white the white male figure. What I want to do is be able to have conversations to, to realize that no matter what, we all have the same amount to give to a conversation. Depending on the conversation, maybe has, somebody has more yes. you know, expertise, maybe. Um, so for me, it's never been something that I could n- not, that, that it's not a part of who I am. So it doesn't matter. I don't like having conversations that don't have any, any substance to them. Mm-hmm. It's pointless to me. So even it follows me in my work. So when I'm working with people and even when I'm, you know, as, as I've been in sales for quite some time for the wine industry, and even in my conversations with people that I'm selling wine to, I always think it's important to have deeper conversations than just the sale of a beverage. Because it's not just the sale of a beverage. A beverage leads to you having a drink with your friends mm-hmm. that can lead to further conversations, Right. And if you light a spark somewhere, even in that moment, that moment can 
ripple effect into moments that they then in turn have with people that they're around. And that's why conversation is so powerful and your voice is so powerful. And if you have the opportunity to do it, to share it, you should. I, again, I've never felt not compelled to have discussions. I've always felt compelled to have discussions. And I feel like the second that I'm not talking or the second that we're not talking, something's off. Hmm. Did you, have you noticed in the wine industry, because you've worked there for a very long time, that people were open, they were ready to have those conversations or? It's all in different portions, depending on where people are at. I think I will be perfectly honest. When I was younger, I probably pushed harder mm -hmm. um, in, a, in a way. Saving the world. A, <laughs> I, you know, why are you going to do this when you should do that? And, you know, what I've come to realize is that when you point something out to someone um, and not in a way to say, like, you're doing something wrong, but, but in our society, even teasing the smallest little thing out that could be changed or altered in a way to be beneficial for more people, whether it be in an organization or whether it be to a community outside the organization, for whatever reason, people take that on as a direct attack on who they are. Mm -hmm. And so because we have these systems of power and these structures of power, people can either take you in And, and love these conversations and want to have them with you and grow the conversation with you, or they can easily just as quickly shut the door yes. and make sure that that's, that's where the conversation is going to start stop. And, you know, it's, it's about, um, I mean, I don't ever want the conversations to stop. So it's always making sure that, you know, you've got your foot stuck in the door somehow a little bit to keep <laughs> the conversation flowing and going. But some people, it's uh, some people are way more open to the idea, and I think the older that I've gotten, the more people are open to the idea that there could be something, you know, that could change, and we could create something better um, and greater. And I also, it's not because of my me maturing. That's also because the world is opening up, yes. and I I think that has a lot to do with access to uh, you know instantaneous knowledge, whether that be through Google or yeah. whatever that is. You know, you can look things up very very quickly on a subject that, you know, wasn't the case five, 10 years ago. And I think that now people are just more willing to, to see other sides of things and not completely keep their blinders on and everybody. <laughs> Has it helped that the people are talking more and more, not just in the wine industry, but only industries about equality, about diversity, about racism, about all these things that are, you know, the makeup of the, 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 the American society that somehow people are not, they're, they're not, shutting up anymore to say okay th th things have to change because there is something wrong with the system i abs absolutely it's it's great so what i'm seeing right now at least in our industry but i also think in other industries as well is that i think that there was a lot of people who um, jumped on the opportunity to be able to say that they were doing something uh, with reference to DEI within their organization. So, you know, after the George Floyd moment, there were a lot of people that had this, you know, so we're going to go out and we're going to spend marketing dollars. We're going to hire somebody and, and we're going to do all the things. Well, when you bring these people in and you don't give them any support tools or you bring these, mm -hmm. you know, like, check boxes and but there's nothing else there backing it there was a lot of this full throttle a lot of money we're going to do it we're going to make a big splash and then they just fell off which was devastating for so many people because mm -hmm. 
there, there was hope. There was this idea of hope. And I think now there's this shakeout where because of COVID and people had time to sit home, whether organizations liked it or not, these people fed into wanting to know more and wanting to learn more. So coming back, it doesn't matter. It, it's never going to go back to this idea of we don't care about people. You're just a, a, a soldier to go out and do your job. There's... I, there is going to be companies that are going to try to sort of force that ideal back into reality. I mean, you look at Elon Musk and I'm not meaning to point him out. He just happened to talk about it, you know, like on Twitter or whatnot, where everybody's coming back to work and he's, that's not going necessarily well for him in this moment. And I don't see a lot of other organizations following suit. Um, but I do believe there. I, I do believe that having community with your work is actually a really great thing. And I think spending some time with people in a, a communal setting is a great thing. I don't necessarily think you need to be going back to work every single day inside of an office. But what has happened is so many people have realized the opportunity of spending more time with family, spending more time with friends, spending more time doing their own creative work mm -hmm. outside of outside of work. Right, the things that that find, give them passion. And also doing a lot of research on on their own, like you know, biases of, of of in life in general. And I don't I don't see that going back at all. I do see that only pushing forward. And organizations at this point realize there's no going back. And so what you're seeing now is some larger organizations actually truly trying to implement, not just hiring one person, mm -hmm. not just making one program where they everybody has to you know do a five minute video and then you do a checklist and you're done. Right? You did the DEI, you know, implicit bias training. Woohoo! Um, it's not solely that anymore. So what I'm starting to see now is that. Large organizations are are spearheading having multiple different associate resource groups or employee resource groups, which whichever way they identify them. And those resource groups are actually expanding, and then they are actually um, being able to take a lot of strategy that's going on within these within these groups to help flesh it out to the broader organization itself. Mm -hmm. And a lot of these thought principles are actually making their way up into the, you know, uh, leadership executive and C-suite levels, um, which is great. So once you start having this exchange of information between the different levels, yes. rungs, it, it that's when the real change starts to happen. It is still Early. 10 years out yeah. <laughs> before we're going to be able to see these things manifest in ways that we're like, oh, wow, okay, that was actually really fruitful, you know? Because it takes time. This isn't going to happen overnight. Um, but it's it's continuing to have your voice. And my voice, even, even though it's probably still just as loud as it was when I was younger, it's almost like people can consume it easier because I've never like sort of varied from from the veracity of which we we need yes. to have change. There has to be change. Yeah. Um, but people are more willing to recognize it and have conversations. And the conversations is where the where the change starts. Yes. Absolutely. We, we had on, on the one-on-one -on -one podcast, Rania Zayat, the founder of Lyft Collective. How does Lyft Collective fit into your vocal aspiration, let's put it this way, into what you're trying to, to get through in the industry, beyond, etc.? Right. So being vocal sparks change in others, mm -hmm. plants seeds in others' minds. Lift Collective for me is, is yes, we have the conference that has been sort of historical, um, you know, a program that we've launched with, and that helps put the plant the seeds in people's minds and helps people get motivated. Uh, but Lift Collective for me is a way to 
choose active action oriented programs Mm -hmm. that directly help see the change that we want to see. Right. So it's not just conversations anymore. Lift Collective allows me to take the privilege that I have and the experience that I have and figure out ways that I can flip that and send it back out to help others who have not historically had a voice, who have not historically had privilege, money, access to resources. And I want to give back in that way. And so Lift Collective has provided me that outlet, which has been amazing for me. It was It's been amazing for me. I mean, the organization itself, we're still a very young organization Mm -hmm. and uh, we are still very much, you know, bootstrapping it. There's, you know, that we've got, we've got a great board and and we're doing a lot of things, but it's also, it's all voluntary, right? So Mm -hmm. you're out there doing everything yourself and that's what it takes. And I think that, you know, if we can encourage others to come join us in those efforts that actually do the actionable changes and not just the verbal, but you need both. Yeah. Have you seen changes happening in the industry through lift collective, through the work that you've done through lift collective. Now we talk about the industry afterwards, but uh, I wanted to. Yes, I do. I mean, we. Because it's a young organization. It's not as if you've been around for 10 years, et cetera, but. Correct. Um, You were able to do. Yeah, it's it's hard to like quantify, right? Because I think a lot of times it's no need for numbers. Think, just right, just we don't. <laughs> for the conference itself, being able to the the thought provoking conversations that happen at the conference, it's it's instantaneous. You can see it in people's minds mm-hmm. where they are forced to think in a different way. They are forced to get outside of their own like understanding of what they think the world is, their own privilege and really truly become not a bigger or greater human being, but like their, their mind expands yes. quite a bit. And yes. you see that and you, you can see that in the way that they have conversations with other people and you can see how they, you know, at, at first it's, I think it's overwhelming for many people to realize, you know, the position that we've all played in our culture and our society to, to allow privilege to stay up, up top. Um, and so once you see people get into that space, you see them work through it because it takes some time to work through it. But when they get to the other side, it's um, it's brilliant because all they want to do is figure out how to be actionable. What can I do to be actionable? Is that is that you know making a phone call to to help someone uh, find a job opportunity? Is that you know making a phone call to say, hey, come work harvest with me in Sonoma because there's an open slot and you know, I, I think you'd be great. And I know you love wine or, or whatever, whatever that is. Um, or having phone conversations with people in C-suite levels where you get to, to like talk through what their programs are, what they're thinking and how, you know, you might be able to help them change the way that they're looking at creating change internally in their organizations. So the conferences have always done extremely great mm-hmm. things for our community members who who join us in those conferences, as well as the thought leaders that come on as panelists and such. Um, for we we worked with another organization for the job fairs, these virtual job fairs that we did right after um, the mass layoffs from hospitality mm-hmm. industry, and and those those job fairs were. Um, amazing because everyone knew that there was a probably a glaring over not oversight but a glaring like disparity with the uh, amount of people that are not white cis male female in the industry um 
And so I think what, what you saw is that people, everyone who signed on for the job fair, whether you be the candidate or whether you be the company that came on to try to hire them, everyone realized in this moment that, wow, we have so much opportunity to grow. And we saw a lot of job placement for, for um, our candidates in those two job fairs, which was awesome. And we saw some companies that were so far ahead of the DEI space. They were like, they got it. And they mm-hmm. were so excited and they came in and they supported some of these people that came into their companies um, greatly. And then other companies are still in their infancy when it comes to the respect of like, a, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion within their own organizations. And unfortunately, some of those opportunities didn't pan out the way that we would hoped that they had. Um, but at the end of the day, what we realize is that there needs to be some sort of understanding where right now, as the industry is, we don't say, come one, come all, come be a part of us. Let's, you know, because unfortunately, if you don't, if you don't have any sort of mirroring, if I walk into an organization and I don't see somebody who looks like me, it's, it's almost immediate that I, that I probably feel somewhat like, am I going to be supported? Am I going to be, you know, psychologically safe in this space? Mm-hmm. Will people, will people understand me? Mm-hmm. I don't know. So that I think, you know, everyone knew that there was a little bit of a problem, but this just sort of kicked the doors wide open because there were so many candidates out there, so many people out there. Uh, and I don't think organizations had any idea of how to wrap their mind about how to, to mm-hmm. actually support them as they come in. So. Um, that the job fair for us was, I think, a pivotal moment because it was the first time that we had an actual action, a, a forward, like like an action versus the conference is great because it's a lot of talking that it inspired people. Mm-hmm. But then we had an action action item, and you know, from those job fairs, I think one of the things that we recognize is that you know, because the industry doesn't look diverse, we are also losing out on people who may want to be consuming wine they just don't know it yet mm-hmm. because they don't they don't see themselves anybody who's trying to sell wine or market wine um and so what we started to realize is that like what if we helped people start their own businesses that focused on bringing in a different community focused on sharing um what it looks like to be diverse in the wine space and it wasn't just us. There's there's quite mm-hmm. a few other organizations that are doing this, um, but this is just something that started in our minds. And so that's that's how the entrepreneurship program sort mm-hmm. of kick started. Is that if we can support people who want to start their own businesses, a so that's going to help support them in a different way um, than before. But also, it fills a need in the industry to help invite different voices mm-hmm. into the industry. So. That was when Rania and I sort of, we put pump the brakes on our, um, on our conference for 2022 for this year so that we could really sort of dive in and focus on how do we, how do we build this program out? Takes a lot of time. It does. <laughs> a lot not, of energy, you know, a lot of time. It, it was, it was something that was challenging, but we knew we, we put out an industry survey and when we put that survey out, it was almost instantaneous that you knew yeah. that we were onto something that people needed. And so 
Rania and I, over the course of the last few years and over the course of our work histories have, have met wonderful people in the industry that are extremely knowledgeable on, on their area of expertise. And we wanted to be able to pull these people in as people could help in workshops and sessions and, and uh, round tables, so on and so forth to help, to help guide these entrepreneurs nice. for this sort of very pivotal part and moment in, in their businesses. Um, and one of the things we wanted to make sure of us is to grab those that, that were open to being able to be mentors. This isn't like a one-off conversation, right? Like they weren't just going to come in and lead a workshop and then, okay, hope you guys do well. Um, it was more of, we want you to be able to know that somebody may call you in, in a month and say, Hey, you said something. And I just, mm -hmm. can you elaborate again on why? And so we wanted to make sure that everybody who was coming in as a thought leader was actually going to be able to be more than just, you know, a class leader yes. in a session. Yeah. And so that, that is how sort of that shift happened. So it's all about being in part of community with each other. Cause at the end of the day, when they get through the six months, we don't want them to just be through the six months. We want them to be able to have these connections now um, that, that are uh, people in the industry that have mm -hmm. expertise in these spaces that these entrepreneurs just haven't had access to. Yeah. Um, so that is the action that we're taking now. And you, uh, we had our first call on Tuesday night yes. with our cohort of five. And I want to say that was a, an extremely uh, beautiful and emotional moment to have everyone imagine. on. Yeah. Um, and to be able to launch this, just to see the validation in their faces and to see how incredibly excited they were to feel like someone was supporting them, truly supporting them. Like it wasn't just a, here's one thing. All right, go get them. Yeah. But they felt truly supported in this moment. Um, and almost like their, their idea of their business was no longer solely an idea that may or may be successful or may not like this program all of a sudden makes them feel like, no, it's going to be successful. Nice. And when you see that mirrored all of a sudden, all of the endless nights of, you know, uh, putting the program together and, um, you know, not to mention like trying to do the fundraising piece of it too. Yeah. Like there's, there's so many hats that you wear and to see it come to fruition and know that you're doing the right thing in this moment to help to do something actionable that will hopefully provide even more change that we want to see in the industry yeah we can only hope for great success for those five uh yes uh, first comp you know companies projects teams uh yeah. into the lcep program if yeah. i'm not mistaken yeah that's uh, Lift yeah. collective entrepreneurship program yes uh, and and to see how they how they go through that we'll be following we'll be looking at it <laughs> <laughs> You, you've been in the industry for, for a long time. How do you see, I'm not going to ask you the question about how do you see the industry evolve, but I'm going to ask you, how do you see evolving yourself in that industry? Because you mentioned something about earlier on about when you were uh, entering the industry, uh, you had a way of, you know, being vocal and trying to, you know, change the world and everything like that. And, and that changed over time because you, potentially realize what is possible, what is not really possible right now, but maybe with time it, it is. Yeah. What's your next steps? How do you see yourself in that industry? 
I know it's a tricky question. <laughs> it's it's such a it's such a tricky question, and it's particularly a tricky question right now. Um, I'm in the middle of a transition, and and for me, there has been quite a lot of like um, you know turmoil internally. Mm-hmm. I I shared with you on on our call last week that I I one day woke up and stopped drinking at the beginning of the pandemic mm-hmm. because I wanted to be truly in a space with my children and my family um, during a very hard time. And I, I haven't, I haven't had a drink since then. And it's not because I, you know, am looking to be sober or whatnot. It's just, it's something that I want to be present with them mm-hmm. in this moment. And I have found myself to be able to accomplish so many other things during this time of sobriety. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I've looked at a lot of different things inside and outside of mm-hmm. the industry uh, because I'm like, do, do I need to have a change? You know, if there's, you know, if it's caused me this much, you know, like constant battling to try to get my voice heard or to try to mm-hmm. change things, you know, like am, am I in the right spot? And you know, it's taken a good three or four weeks for me to sort of sit with this feeling and understand that the wine industry is always, it, it shows me, I didn't choose it. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of us that are in this similar space. And there's something about the, the love of food and wine. Yes, but how it's an agricultural product. And so mm-hmm. it goes back into the land. And for me, that piece is such a, it's such a big piece and it's such a part of who I am. And, and one of the things that I see in, in my next iteration is how can I, with all the things that I want to see change wise in this industry, how, how can I, how can I find that change? How can I be, a you know, a speaker to that change, mm-hmm. but actually help it in actionable terms and so, you know, over time, over the course of the last few weeks, digging in, it's in my mind, I sort of want to figure out a way to help organizations with corporate social responsibility or, you know, environmental social governance within them. And I think a lot of times um, organizations look for that to be led solely by a human resources department. Mm-hmm. Um and, and I'm not saying that that's not the right place for it to fall, but I think a lot of times you end up putting a lot of attention towards giving HR things that have to do with social aspects within the organization. And I think that there is an opportunity to be able to say, wait, if we're going to be looking at like social responsibility on a corporate level, it can't just be in one bucket. Mm-hmm. There has to be a way we're all all parts of the organization are talking with each other and having and and having conversations mm-hmm. with each other on a regular basis, but also implementing change from those conversations as a collective. And I and I know that, you know, I know organizations have, you know, like weekly, weekly or monthly calls to try to talk about what each of them are doing. But I think a lot of times at the end of the day, certain responsibilities fall within one area. And I feel like that area gets oversaturated and whether it be human resources or whether it be, you know, sales are exorbitantly tasked with solely going out and, you know, driver of the business. Yes. Inherently that's what sales is, but sales is a hugely relationship driven mm-hmm. job. So how can you say that sales is solely numbers when relationships build the numbers mm-hmm. and relationships are everything to do with corporate social mm-hmm. responsibility. Sure. <laughs> so, so there's all these things that I think, um, that I think in my mind that I'm sort of, 
understanding that there's a lack and there's a need and there's a gap um, in the way that we think about leadership and where I think that leadership can go in the future. And so I'm still sort of teasing that out, Antoine, but uh, it's definitely, um, I'm getting there. Oh, yeah, it's, it's like, I'm, I'm sure you'll be very successful in, in, in what you're going into right now in that new phase, because you have, yeah. from the conversation we've had, yeah. you have that, that particular experience, which is not only about the industry itself, but from a point of view from outside, because the work with you, you do with Live Collective, your advocacy work, everything that, yeah. you know, you, you're not just focused on the numbers and the business, but you were, you know, about the communities, you know, about the issues, you know, about all these things. And this is an invaluable uh, experience uh, for the companies that should look into this. <laughs> so we'll be, we'll be, we will be following very closely and, and wishing you all the great success for that. If you, my last question, if you were to talk to your young self of 20 years old, let's say, what would you tell her? Unexpected question. <laughs> no, it's, it's okay. I mean, shit, there'd be a lot I'd say, but then again, there, there might not be anything that I'd say. Just oh, yeah. live it and feel it. Um, I think that we all come to the place that we are right now because of the lived experiences that we have and whether those lived experiences, you know, you fell on your face that created who you are today. And so I, I sort of firmly believe we are where we are because that's exactly where we're supposed to be. Um, so I don't know if I'd say anything to my younger self, I'd probably just hug her and tell her I loved her. That's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> Cara Bertone, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Antoine. I really appreciate it. Thank you.